Welcome in to No Pun Intended, presented by Club Fantasy. I am your host, Joe Zolo, and we are continuing on with our A Look Inside series today with the New York Giants, Miami Dolphins, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Joining me, as always, is Joshua Hudson. Josh, how are you? Uh, it, it, throughout a crazy week, I'm holding myself together. That's that. That's what I have to say about that one. So, <laughs> I I, ha- I tend to agree. And joining us once again, who will most likely be joining us for, throughout the summer to dive into these teams, Ryan Weiss from the Fantasy Footballers. Ryan, thank you. Oh, glad to be here. Uh, as always, thank you for the invite. I love uh, getting on and talking fantasy with you guys. You, you, Love it. you seem surprised that I introed you because you said, oh, were you not ready? I wasn't. Okay. I was, I, I was waiting for my own intro music at this point. <laughs> right? I mean, at this point, you're kind of like a third co-host, it feels like. I feel like we need to get some like WWE-style theme music to be like, all right, music like drop, it. boom, here's Ryan. Listen, you know? he, he's not John Cena. We don't need <laughs> we don't need the John Cena theme song coming out here. I was actually thinking Sting, I'll paint my face, and then you guys just like act like I came out of nowhere, like I sure. wasn't even supposed to be on the show this time. Sure. Why don't we kick it up a notch? Go Gene Simmons, get the get the tongue, the high heel boots, and the face paint. Let's just kick it up a notch. There we go. <laughs> All the way with it. Exactly. Before we dive into anything, uh, we're not tone deaf, but the whole reason we do this show, and I've said this from day one, if you've been listening since day one, uh, I never get political on this show. There is no need for it. Um, we come here, we do this show to give you an hour, hour and a half of uh, talking fantasy football, and that's what we want to stay away from. Obviously, we cannot ignore what's been going on. We are going to make uh, a quick statement on behalf of myself, Josh, and Ryan included in this as well. Ryan's a part of the family now at this point. Uh, if you want to hear our personal opinions, we have very public social media handles. Follow us personally. Uh, Ryan is the Fantasy 5. Josh, you're Joshua Hudson, correct? Or the Hudsonian no, one? No, the one Hudsonian. The one Hudsonian. Uh, I am yeah. just Joe Facebook, underscore. Twitter, and Instagram. Same on all three. Uh, I'm just Joe underscore Zolo, mostly on my Twitter. Um, look, if if the if the phrase Black Lives Matter is controversial to you, stop listening to the show. I don't want you listening to the show. I don't want you supporting any part of what we have to do. If that is controversial to you in any way, stop listening right now. We're two and a half minutes in. Turn it off. I don't want you listening to any episodes now or any future episodes. That's all I have to say about it. We have each said our things on personal social media. We are going to focus on fantasy football because this is our escape that we get to do for an hour and a half a week, and we hope that we can entertain everyone listening here uh, just to escape and talk about some awesome stuff that's going to be coming up, hopefully, if the NFL starts on time. So we're going to talk about that starting now. And speaking of sports coming back, apparently yeah. basketball and hockey are, like, ready to go. It's yeah. at, thank, thank you. Thank you. Right? <laughs> the, Finally something. Maybe that'll take our minds off of the chaos that's going on in the world right now. A tiny bit of shimmering light. Yes, the NBA announced its returns to uh, – its plans on return to play – the hockey, uh, the NHL, excuse me, announced theirs, I believe, last week. Both leagues planning to start up around the same time. Uh, hockey and bet they're a little different, though. Uh, if you want to see this, I'm not going to dive into the specifics because I don't know them off the top of my head. Um, but I know the NBA playoffs, the latest the NBA finals could go, I believe, 
is October 12th would be Game 7 of the NBA Finals. So that's as far as it would extend, and I believe they plan to start mid-July in Disney World. So that's the plan for the NBA. So sports are coming back. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. Hooray. Uh, now that's, into, into that's football. That's interesting with the NBA. It is. It is interesting. Yeah, it's like, when's the next, when, when's the uh, 2021 so season going to start? <laughs> like you said, we won't get into that, but that was the first I'd heard of that. And I'm like, what about next season? Right. But, it almost <laughs> makes it seem like the next season is going to be shortened as a result as well. Yeah, like, I so. can't imagine that they try to fit that many games into that big of a span because everybody bitches and complains about back-to-back games all the time anyway. So. Indeed. So what the rumor and that a lot of people want is that they want the NBA to start on Christmas Day. They think Ooh. that just just in the future, they just want it to start on Christmas Day. So that way you'd have, I mean, that would suck for baseball because baseball would be competing with basketball the entire time that they're in season. But you have the, uh, the NFL that would start um, the first Thursday after Memorial Day, uh, excuse me, not Memorial Day, Labor Day. Uh, you'd have hockey, which would start first or second week in October. The NBA would start Christmas Day. Baseball starts end of March. I feel like that's a solid schedule of professional sports right there. So yeah, I, I, I like the idea personally, just, you know, for the future, not even just for the revamped, um, you know, what if it gets shortened or they decide to do a full season starting on December 25th, but you know, basketball and hockey getting ready to go football have no plans to postpone in the MLB. Well, it's full of old idiots, frankly, and they have no <laughs> clue how to just conjure together and make baseball happen because it's, it's fairly simple. It's pretty easy. Just get with the players, figure out what they want, what do you want, come to a compromise. It seems like it's the owner's way or the highway. You want to fit a 100... That's typically how it is in baseball, though. Sure, but they want to come up with a 114-game schedule starting (laughs) beginning of July. That's hilarious. To run through the end of September... They would never. Those players would never have a day off. No, they Not wouldn't. It, you, you wouldn't practice. You would have a game every day. 114 days is almost four months. So you're telling me July, August, September, right? I assume that's how they're going to run because baseball can't run into November. It's way too cold. So yeah, yeah they tried that, and even like those World Series games with uh, New York when they delayed it for September 11th, like it was just yep. it, it was not. I mean, it was exciting baseball, but it wasn't the best quality. If that makes no. sense. And that's the thing is like a lot of people were saying, "Look, you you're you just start at the All Star break, have an 82 game season." I'm like, that's a no brainer. Cut the season in half. Pay the players. Okay, you know you're gonna lose money this season. Eat it up. All right, if I mean, let, let, let's be honest here. We all thought that some of these major league teams can't pay their players because they're small market teams. And then the Padres go out and sign Manny Machado for $300 million. The Angels go out and sign Mike Trout to $430 million. Like, the only team that can't pay their bills is the Miami Marlins. That's the only team I will actually And they're still paying say. their minor leaguers, mind you. Uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, Okay, you're going to lose money this year. Suck it up. You're going to lose money this year. You, I guarantee you, you've made enough money 
last season and the season prior to cover your expenses, you're going to lose money this year. So either don't have a season and make no money or have a season and recoup some of your losses. Your choice. So it's just, to me, stupid. Absolutely stupid. Okay, football, because screw every other sport. Here we go. Uh, we go. St- starting with the Giants. Uh, we're going to do the same thing as last week. If you didn't listen to the actually show, if you're listening on 97.3 Sunshine Jams, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, uh, catch us, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, go back, listen to last week. Uh, we did the first three teams in the NFL draft last week, the Bengals, Redskins, and Lions. We're now moving on to four, five, and six in the pecking order, uh, starting with the New York Giants. So we do, if you're new, upside, downside, trustful, rookie, sleeper, and individual defensive player. I handle the IDP and the sleepers. Josh and Ryan handle upside, downside, trust fall, and the rookie. So we will start here. We'll start with the good. We'll start with the good. We'll go to the upside. Um, Upside was Daniel Jones. Ryan, you had Golden Tate. Downside, Josh, you have Evan Ingram. Ryan, you have Sterling Shepard. Trust fall. Both have Saquon Barkley. I feel like just that's a no-brainer. I mean, who else on the team are you going to trust? Uh, rookie yeah. to watch, uh, Benjamin Victor for Josh and Derek Dillon for Ryan. If you don't know their names, neither do I. Uh, I believe they're both undrafted. <laughs> so we yeah, we had to dig deep for those rookies. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, uh, sleeper, uh, Darius Slayton, and individual defensive player. I have Blake Martinez. So we'll start, like I said, with the upside, uh, and we'll start here with. The man of the supposed New York Giants future, Daniel Jones. Uh, Josh, you and I both flame the guy and flame the pick when they took him in the 2019 draft during our live show. Uh, I feel like he hasn't he hasn't proved us right, but he also hasn't proved us wrong yet. I feel like he's I feel like he's in the happy medium to where no one really knows how he's going to turn out, but he didn't have a bad rookie season, but he also didn't have a stellar rookie season. I think I think this is a year where he could jump because he has a lot of good weapons around him. Yeah, so the biggest thing with Daniel Jones when you look at last year, it's two things. It's the amount of fumbles because everybody talks about Jameis Winston and the interceptions and people were just kind of sleeping on Daniel Jones. Oh, well, he's a rookie, blah, blah, blah. No, when you come in and fumble, I think it was 18 times, that's a big freaking issue. That is 18 times issue. In, in 12 games. He averaged one yeah, and a half fumbles a, a game. Big issue. So that's something you obviously have to get fixed. A lot of people talked about Lamar Jackson and his fumble issues when he came in the back half of his rookie year. He worked that out. So I'm not saying that Daniel Jones can't work that out. Okay. They're, they've taken strides to improve their offensive line, obviously spending the fourth overall pick on Andrew Thomas. The tack, massive tackle out of Georgia is a huge upgrade um but he's more of a run blocker than a pass blocker I, I i do want to preface that this team is built around the running game and they want to try and play good defense and stop the run they've got some big boys up front they drafted dexter lawrence last year they gave up way too much to basically sign leonard williams to a franchise tag who wants more money than he's worth mind you but these guys can stop the run okay their defense still needs some work the, the secondary is trash, um, but they, they can be a respectable front seven that just can't rush the passer. But they, they're going to run the football. If Saquon Barkley is healthy, which, again, he wasn't last year, only played 12 games, they're going to run the football. My projections with Daniel Jones 
are kind of an in-between what I think will happen and what he was on pace for last year. So in my projections, I have him going, uh, finishing his QB 13, which again is respectable. I mean, that's, you're very close to a QB one at that. And his current ADP is QB 15. So he's kind of right around where his draft spot is. But the other big thing that didn't happen for him last year, all of those weapons that we're eventually going to talk about, tight end Evan Ingram, Barkley, the wide receivers, Darius Slayton, who was a rookie last year, Golden Tate, the free agent signee, and Sterling Shepard, who was recently extended for four years. None of those guys played a game together, all five of them. Yeah. So if Daniel Jones has that for whether it's the whole season or at least a long stretch, we could very well be talking about somebody that's a top six quarterback next year. He had 24 touchdowns in 12 games, basically averaged two touchdowns a game. That over a full 16-game schedule, what's that? 32 touchdowns? Yeah. I mean, that's solid, you know? I tend, again, kind of erring on the side of caution here because I don't want to predict a rookie or a second-year guy coming in and having a – averaging a 5%, you know, touchdown rate when – most of the league doesn't do that on the regular. So I have him only at 25 touchdowns for the year, but I could absolutely see where he's throwing 26, 27, 28 touchdowns. It's very possible. I mean, from weeks three to 13, when he was starting, he was QB 10 and averaging, uh, again, this is four points per touchdown pass, just south of 18 points per game. You bring in a new offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, he's going to run the football. They're going to lean heavily on Barkley. So Daniel Jones is going to have a lot of opportunities in play action passing. His upside is massive. I don't currently love the ADP. I would love the upside a little more if it was like QB 21, QB 20, but I still see the upside even at his current draft price. The big thing about QB ADP though, is once you get past 12 or 13. Oh yeah. These guys are going in the 12, 13. Yeah. They're basically free because most, intelligent people aren't drafting two quarterbacks in a uh, in just a regular redraft 10 or 12 team league so he is still free he's one of those guys where you can just wait on um everything you said i agree with um it's really just measuring the turnovers versus last year's per game basis but one thing that really you need to give them credit for jason garrett could be a big positive influence on Daniel Jones and nobody wants to give Garrett credit. And I understand that because of how putrid he was as a whole in Dallas, but eight of the last nine years, quarterbacks in Jason Garrett's system have finished the season as a QB one. And Garrett was there to develop Romo from an unknown guy and develop Dak from a relatively unknown guy and turn them into something. So I I really feel like Garrett's going to be a positive influence for Jones and hopefully he can get those, those turnovers under control. Worst case, he'll be the biggest cheerleader. Yep. (laughs) So uh, something too, that I think Josh, I forgive me if you had mentioned this, but he has the ability to get outside the pocket and run. As yeah, well. he, can, so, he can scramble. So he, I mean, I'm not calling him a Lamar Jackson by any means, but to the point where, you know, if things break down because his old line's terrible, uh, he can tuck it and maybe get five or six yards. I mean, he might be, he might have four rushing touchdowns in his bank this year. Yeah, because, I have him projected for three, so it's definitely possible. Yeah, so you got to add in too, like, he, again, his rushing upside isn't huge, but that could be a difference in one of the game's 
this year for well, you? He had he had 279 rushes on or rushing yards, excuse me, on 45 rushes and two touchdowns. And he's you know averaging 6.2 yards per attempt. I mean, granted, majority of these are scrambles, which is fine. Because he's, you know, he's somebody that's going to stand in the pocket. He wants to look and throw the football downfield. And that's why I'm especially high on Darius Slayton this year. I think Slayton is just going to absolutely, he's going to have himself a season and people are not paying attention to it, but we'll get to him later. Yeah. From, from the outside receiver to, in my opinion, the most underrated slot receiver of the uh, 2010s, Golden Tate, Uh, Ryan, I love that you have Golden Tate here on the upside. I was contemplating him as the sleeper because his ADP is lower than Darius Slayton's. But I'll get to, again, like you said, we'll get to Slayton in a little bit. Why do you have Golden Tate as the upside? I absolutely love it. I, I just think Golden Tate, my very first note for Golden Tate is the only bad thing you can say about Golden Tate at this point is that he's old. Um, he's only yes. 31. True. Um, <laughs> Last year in, I think it was 11 games, he paced as the wide receiver 20. Um, He was the wide receiver 32 during uh, 2018, which was that Detroit to Philly year. And uh, Josh, I'm sure you can attest to this. He was just horrible during his time with the Eagles. Terrible. They they couldn't figure out how to use him. And I'm like, he's golden freaking Tate. How do you not know how to use him? Just throw him the damn football. And then if you go back to his last full season, he was the wide receiver 15 in 2017. So you're looking at a guy who might be looking at a low 30s floor with a high teens ceiling that you're able to draft as the wide receiver 49 in your draft. And one of my favorite things about him is his normal catch percentage is 65 to 70%. That dropped all the way to 57 last year. Even if his targets stay the same, you have to expect his catch percentage is going to come positively regress, and you're going to see more catches out of – and then just the fact that he should be playing five more games. He's a steal at wide receiver 49. He he yeah. literally could anchor your team as your wide receiver too, and you're getting him for almost free. Yeah, last year he had six touchdowns in 11 games, which really surprised me. He hadn't hit six touchdowns in a season since 2015. Yeah. In fe- and he's actually only hit six three times in his career. So, you know, you, you, you put that over a full season. You know, Sterling Shepard is seemingly in and out, typically with concussions. Ingram's always missing games. Tate is relatively healthy. I mean, really the only reason he missed those games last year was the suspension. So and it was the BS suspension on top of that. It was oh, the whole yeah. thing where he was trying to get his wife pregnant, but the we won't get into all that. Yeah, yeah it's completely ridiculous. So, I mean, there's definitely upside there. And like I said, you know, Daniel Jones wants to throw the football down the field. Tate averaged 13.8 yards per reception, and he's always been a huge yards after the catch guy. So there, there's absolutely upside with him. It just boils down to, for me, how much are they actually going to throw the football? Jason Garrett typically likes – those bigger receivers. That's what they've had, you know, in the past with Dallas, whether it was with Cooper or going all the way back to Des Bryant, you've got a guy like Darius Slayton who can dominate. I think that's really where a lot of those targets are going to go. And you're going to see Tate sort of come back to earth a little bit. And again, you still have Sterling Shepard, a guy that they extended before they even signed Tate. So it's like, you know, all these weapons, there's only so many footballs to go around. You want to give Barkley the football probably 300 times just on the ground. We've seen what he's able to do from a, a receiving perspective. I mean, I, 
there, there's obviously plenty of opportunity that they could throw the football 600 times. I just don't think Garrett wants them to do that. And yeah. I think that for me is the big limitation there. But just like you said, he's basically free at this point. He's going as, you know, fifth, sixth wide receiver in most drafts. Why not take a shot for what the potential upside could be? Tate's an absolute baller. He's a he's an absolute baller. He's a PPR machine. One thing that we had said back when he was in Detroit, I think it was the first year we were doing the show, and we talked about Golden Tate drafting him in the upcoming season. Uh, when he was in Detroit, he was a lock for 90 receptions. He yep. had 90, 92, 91, 94. Like, he was a lock for 90 receptions. It's probably not going to happen in New York, but I absolutely love his upside. If Slayton did, didn't have a low ADP, I would have put in Tate as the sleeper. Also, I'm looking at Fantasy Pros. Tate is wide receiver 59. So I'm looking at this. He's he's 10 spots lower than what you have him as, Ryan. So looking at the guys like Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Robbie Anderson, Preston Williams, yeah. Nikhil Harry, Denzel Mims, John Brown, Sterling Shepard, his counterpart, are all being taken before him, and people in the same conversation, Anthony Miller, Sammy Watkins, Alshon Jeffrey, and Brashad Perryman. This actually touches on something, a little preview of an article I'm going to be putting out for the baller soon, and that is when you're taking these late-round lottery pick guys, you want a guy like Tate who you're going to know what you have in the first four games, and we all obviously think it's going to be good, but you're going to know what you have in the first four games. It, taking these rookie wide receivers where you're, you have no idea until week seven or eight, and they're either clogging up your bench or you've cut them before you have any value out of them. It just makes no sense to me. If I have just about any rookie wide receiver or golden Tate, I think I'd rather have golden Tate at this point. So, yeah, I, I agree. Everyone. I, I tend to, I tend to shy away from rookie wide receivers and redraft because they just take so long to get to where you expect them to be. Exactly. And yeah, they, they are absolutely lineup killers. They're bench cloggers. And you're just like, well, I don't want to draft or I don't want to drop them because then they're going to do this. And by the time you're like, oh, hey, they're, they've exploded, you're two and five. And you're like, son of a bitch. Exactly. I, I'm just, I'm looking at the Fantasy Pros ADP. Um, people are taking Jordy Nelson. Do they what? not know that Jordy Nelson Still? is retired? Oh, yeah, no. Jo <laughs> Jordy Nelson, his his ADP on on uh, ESPN is wide receiver seventy two. Like what? Are, what? Like that to me is more about the algorithm on the website because 100%. that late in drafts, most people have are just auto drafting. No, sure, but why is Jordy Nelson even an option in the pool? Exactly. Yeah, why is he even an option? <laughs> yeah. he didn't even play last year. Like he's been retired a full season. Oh, that's dead to me. That's just funny. Okay, uh, quickly, um, Evan Ingram. I'm just. I'll just. I'll say our thoughts in general. Uh, he's injured. He can't block, which you know doesn't correlate to fantasy. But when you're in a run-first offense that Jason Garrett wants to run, uh, you're not going to see a lot of time. Uh, Keep in mind too, though, Jason Garrett. They do target the tight ends a lot. Yeah, we've seen Jason Witten, sure. so I think there there's upside for that. But when you look at the ADP, tight end six, too high. the likelihood that he's going to miss games, he's missed 13 over the last two years, that doesn't scream value at tight end six to me. It's so too you're high. buying him at his hypothetical ceiling, and Correct. that's not what you do. So. Yeah. Like you said, tight end six, Evan Ingram, you have guys like, you know, again, like outside of these top four or five guys, it's really flip the coin at this point. But, I mean, you have... Jared Cook uh, at 
tight end 11. Uh, Mike Gesicki at tight end 14. Goddard at 16. Hayden Hurst, who's the who's the only tight end in that Falcons offense this year at 15. So I just think you get way better value if you take some of these guys later. Uh, and then quickly on my sleeper 90p, because who the hell cares about these two rookies that are undrafted? Um, <laughs> Darius Slayton. Josh, you said it. Uh, they favor big receivers. Slayton currently is going as the wide receiver 41 overall, according to Fantasy Pros. And on ESPN, he's wide receiver 48. He is falling into the 10th and 11th rounds of drafts. This is a wide receiver one who is easily a top 24 finisher. Like, he is going to outplay his draft position like double his draft position. So if he's drafted at 41, I guarantee you he's in the top 20. Like yeah, I have him with 123 targets just south of a thousand total yards and seven touchdowns. And I know Ryan, you have him at a pretty healthy target share as well. If I'm not yeah, I, I, my targets are way lower than yours. I have him with only 94 targets. That's again, I think because I don't know that they're going to be throwing the ball a ton, but I have him at seven touchdowns again. He doesn't stat out quite as high for me, but when what you're going to get out of him on boom and bust games, he's going to be great some weeks and terrible other weeks. So I think he's in my low. Oh, so he's Amari right Cooper, now. which we've seen exactly. have no, you know, no, no, good no, success no, in no, a Jason Garrett no, offense, no, no, right? No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Don't you compare Darius Slayton to Amari Cooper, okay? All right? I've never seen Darius Slayton give up on a single play in my life. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> Amari Cooper is like, oh, fourth and potentially to win the game against the against the Eagles? Yeah, let me just go to the bench. I mean, okay, so guy Henry Ruggs and Justin Jefferson are being taken before our, uh, before Darius Slayton. Christian Kirk, uh, Jerry Judy, Will freaking Fuller, who yeah. can't play a full season. Brandon Cooks, who can't play a full season. Like, Marquise Brown, are we really this high on Hollywood Brown? Guys, can we, can we calm down here? A.J. Green, who can't stay healthy. Like, the, to me, Darius Slayton's being criminally underrated. So I love Slayton where he's at in terms of uh, draft position. And then Blake Martinez at the linebacker position. He's projected by CBS Sports to be the highest scoring linebacker in 2020. I have him second to Bobby Wagner because I think I'll hail Bobby Wagner. Now that Luke Keekley's gone, Bobby Wagner's the best middle linebacker in the NFL. Blake Martinez is a very close second. To all you Giants fans that were mad that you paid Blake Martinez the money you paid him and that you're like, oh, he can't tackle. Second most solo tackles amongst linebackers last year, third most solo tackles in the entire league. He is a fantasy machine, especially with the division he's in, considering a lot of those teams want to run the football. Oh, and if you're Philly, he's probably going to be covering Miles Sanders out of the backfield, which, hey, he's going to give up catches to Miles Sanders. Advantage Sanders. Advantage Sanders, but I don't I don't care if Sanders catches it. That's not my problem. As long as he tackles him. As long right? as he tackles him. That's all I care about, as long as he tackles him. So uh, that's the thing is Blake Martinez is a tackling machine. If you're, if you're a Giants fan, you should be ecstatic that you got this guy. He's a top five middle linebacker in the NFL. His coverage skills, subpar. His tackling skills, top of the line. Before we move on, real, I, I know the wide receivers that we mentioned. Benjamin Victor, rookie out of OSU. Where's Derek Dillon from? LSU. LSU, okay. Okay, there we these, go. These two, again, they're not on the radar. They're, they're basically battling for roster spots. Yes. I remember a couple years ago, 
when we were at a the same similar situation where a team didn't really draft a lot of skill players and we were like, crap, who are we going to highlight for the Chargers? And we highlighted a guy named Justin Jackson. And people were like, who the hell is this guy? People know who he is now. I, that's all I'm going to say. So don't sleep on these rookies that we're mentioning that you're just like, they're not even going to make it in camp. You may eventually need to know their names. So Derek Dillon ran a 4-2-9 at LSU's makeshift pro day, which is only slower than Henry Ruggs this year, to where um, LSU's coaching staff said he is one of the best special teams gunners they've ever seen. He, he will likely make oh. that team strictly as a special teams gunner, but he could end up being an electric kick returner as well. So, so that's why the Giants drafted him, is Joe Judge, special teams coordinator from the New yeah. England Patriots, comes over, and they're like, oh, well, we need a flyer. That guy. I mean, hey, I we've we've had the best gunner arguably ever in Matthew exactly. Slater. So I have I have no I have nothing wrong with taking a gunner as an as an un, as an undrafted free agent. I have nothing against that. But you're I mean, hey, if he's fast, he might have the opportunity to find his way into the offense. If not, he'll definitely make it as a special teamer. That's what most undrafted rookies have to make it as. Miami Dolphins. Here we go. Uh, high hopes for this team coming into this year and for the future with the Tua Tagovailoa pick, starting with the Is upside. Is it sad that I'm excited for this offense this year? I would say no because uh, no. Like, I'm legitimately excited to see what they can do, and and I'm not even expecting Tua to play. Like I think they'll at least this is my hope anyway that they'll they'll do like the Patrick Mahomes treatment where they just let him play the last week of the season and that's it. And just let him sit and work on healing that hip and make sure he is 150% heading into 2021. But like, I'm legitimate. Yeah. They, oh, yeah. That, that's just, they're trying to hype the fans up. They spent a week on the guy. Like, all if, the they're, honestly, if they're smart, just sit him. You have yeah. a decent stopgap in Fitzpatrick, who's not Tyrod Taylor, who's going to get benched in four weeks. He is a guy that can play the entire 16-game season. Like, I, I just let them play. Build. You still have two first-round picks next year. Keep adding talent. Put as much talent around Tua as you can because look how well that worked out for Tua when he was at Alabama. They had massive skill position players come through there at running back and at wide receiver and on the offensive line. Like, just keep building all of those areas around him. And the one thing that they have that that the Dolphins had that lacked in Alabama, the Dolphins have a good tight end. Indeed. Go in uh, – I'm excited. You talk about the 2021 draft. Go and get Travis Etienne from Clemson oh, and, and yeah. to put him in the backfield. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying, like, you look at the offense. Yes, their old line might need a little work, and their defense obviously needs help. But if you want to put weapons around Tua – Really, a big weapon that's missing is the running back. So, draft ETN. Uh, that's again. That's next year. We'll talk about that on the draft show next year. Upside, Josh. You talked about the tight end. You have Mike Gesicki, Ryan. You have Matt Breda. Downside, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Preston Williams, wide receiver. Trust fall. You both have Devonte Parker, rookie to watch. You both have Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, my sleeper, I have Jordan Howard. IDP, I have Kyle Van Noy coming over from the New England Patriots. We'll start here. We started upside last time. We'll start with the downside here. Let's let's go with uh, the old man, 
the Harvard grad, the Red Rifle, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I just want to say that I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I love Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, it's hard not to like him because the highs are amazing and the lows are just laughable. So <laughs> it's it's just straight entertainment from this guy. And that beard is just glorious right now. So it's, it's again, hard not to like that. But when you when you look at the age factor, he's what 37, 38 going into the season. The team just spent a top five pick on a quarterback. It's very easy to say, why am I going to waste my time with him? And that to me is, is where the downside comes in, not just for him as a fantasy player, because most people aren't drafting him anyway, unless it's a super flex or two tight or two quarterback league. Like his current ADP is QB thirty. But right now, Tua is going above him in drafts, which does not make any sense to me. No. I have him as QB 22 in my projections. Ryan, I know you're lower on him because I think you I think the split time. Well, yeah, it's basically right down the middle at, at what, seven and nine games a piece or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I think he's going to start most of the year. And I think a lot of that is is twofold. It's one, he has familiarity with the Changeli offense from both his time in Buffalo and his time in New York with the Jets. But Chan Gailey, throughout his tenure as a play caller, has kind of been averse to indoctrinating rookies into in quarter, rookie quarterback, excuse me, into his offense. Like they've spent early picks on guys, and he's just not pulled the trigger and said, All right, I'm going to let them play like it just hasn't been that now again he's the play caller this time not the head coach so maybe that will be the difference but and, and again that's partly why i think that fitzpatrick will stay the whole time but or at least most of the whole time i think he gets at least 13 games this year um but he will directly affect everything else and we've seen again we've seen the highs and it's usually followed by lows like, he had that big year with the Jets. I think it was in 2015. And then 2016, the rails just absolutely fell off. Like, he had a decent year with Buffalo, and he signed, like, a six-year contract. And then the next two years, he was just hot garbage. So now he's older, and it's like, what really are you going to get out of him? So I think that will indirectly affect everybody. Hopefully it's not too negatively. But that's really why I'm sort of down, quote-unquote, on Fitzpatrick, because as great as I think this offense can be, maybe not great, let me rephrase that, as above average as this offense can be and how much fantasy potential they could have, Fitzpatrick could not make this great, and everything could just fall by the wayside. Yeah, if we go with the high interception Fitzpatrick, if they're just going to yank him off the field. Uh, just for argument's sake, I went in and projected him as all 16, and he jumps all the way up to my QB 17. So if he were to play every game there, I think it could be a completely different story. Um, the one big thing that jumped out for me, and you kind of mentioned this, is he has a really good history with Chan Gailey. In four of the five seasons they played together, he threw 23 or more touchdowns. So... If it's good, it could be very good. But if it's bad, you you couldn't have put it better. It's laughably bad. And they'll I think they'll get that hook around his neck and get Tua in there very quickly. For, for the record, I had Fitzpatrick pegged as MVP for the 2016 season after he absolutely destroyed everyone while on the Jets, 10-6 season. I had him pegged as MVP. Didn't come to fruition. Really sad about that. 
Um, joking, of course. But I, I love. <laughs> I, I mean, how, how can you not like the guy, right? Like he's never done. He's never done anything wrong. Harvard grad, seventh round pick by the St. Louis Rams in 2005. For you Gen Z uh, listeners out there, the St. Louis Rams uh, were a team that moved to Los Angeles. You may now know them as the Los Angeles Rams and the laughing stock of the universe in the uh, football world outside of the Jacksonville Jaguars because of their, one, new uniforms, and two, terrible terrible management of their salary cap. I yeah. mean, worst management of salary cap I've seen, I want to say, in my lifetime. I think that's the worst management of salary cap I've ever seen. And their money in general. Last I checked, Todd Gurley was still waiting on his paycheck. <laughs> yep. Yeah, right? <laughs> yep. You you release Todd Gurley, he signs with another team, and oh, you're paying over half of his 2020 contract, and you're getting nothing from him oh los angeles you have outdone yourself uh, <laughs> the red jared i mean what more can you say i want the next sean mcveigh no you effing don't that's all i have to say all right upside uh i love both of the guys that you brought to the table here gasecki and breda i'll just give my quick thoughts on here and then you guys can give again quick thoughts i want to emphasize quick here um, Gasicki, his ADP is 14. I really like what he has the potential to do. He's progressed every year in the two years he's been in the league. He has the build. He has the hands. He showed flashes last year. I think he makes a big jump this year. Breda, we obviously know what Matt Breda can do. We saw what he did in the 49ers offense last year. It was a very loaded backfield. He goes to a Miami offense where the backfield is really wide open. It's just Jordan Howard he has to compete with. Both of them, uh, Howard more known for his run game, Breda more versatile. So Brady you might see more in passing situations. Howard you're going to probably see exclusively in run situations and run packages. But Breda has a big upside, I think, that a lot of people are maybe forgetting his name. And if you're looking in you know, deep leagues or you want a fifth or sixth running back on your team in a 10-team in a redraft league and you're like, let me just take a flyer on Matt Breda. I think he's a great name to pick. So I'll start with Ryan here. Why do you like Breda? You basically hit the nail on the head. I think uh, with Jordan Howard's history, for whatever reason, he's not viewed as a passing down back. He's not used as a pass catcher. I think Breda's going to see almost all of the passing down work. The Dolphins threw the ball to their running backs over 130 times last year. Um, Breda wasn't used exclusively for that in San Francisco, but he does have an 80% career catch rate um, and has scored four touchdowns on 89 targets. He could easily see 89 targets this year. I He has a very James White feel, and when you have uh, Flores there who worked with White for all those years, that's what you want. So I, I feel like it could be a very a big jump for Breda uh, with that move to Miami. You, you remember when Kalen Balage ducked? on a V route out of the backfield in week two we against forget? the Patriots. One he, of the funniest things I've ever seen. You, yep. you just you just said there were 130 targets to the Dolphins running backs last year, and the only one that I can remember <laughs> is Kalen Balaj ducking like it's dodgeball. And I, I I think to me that that epitomized the Miami Dolphins season and their their overall look of their franchise since Dan Marino. 
That that is that's how everyone has viewed the Miami the Miami Dolphins since Dan Marino is Kalen Balaj ducking away from catching a pass. Granted, if he tried to catch it, he probably would have dropped it, so I really don't think it mattered, but maybe dropping it, maybe ducking saved him the embarrassment of dropping it. You know what? <laughs> big big brain play from Kalen Balaj. He saved himself <laughs> the statistical drop and just said, "No, I'm just going to duck go. away from it." That's all. Yeah, he he said, "You know what? Fitzpatrick, you take the blame. I didn't drop it. You have you made a bad pass." There you go. Big brain. Maybe Kalen Balaj is the smartest guy in the field, and we just don't know it. He's been studying with Fitzpatrick. Exactly. Uh, Josh, Mike Gesicki. Well, I, real quick about Breda. I, I really like this move for them as well. I thought it was a pretty low-risk move, and Gailey has a history of having these sort of like split tandem backfields. I mean, just look at Buffalo when he had Fred Jackson and uh, C.J. Spiller, and even going into uh, with the Jets – he had one year with like Matt Forte and Bilal Powell. And then he had like Chris Ivory and Powell as well. So uh, he's used to using, you know, you know, somebody is sort of like the grinder, the in between the tackles guy, and then somebody that he can throw the football to. Jordan Howard is going to get some catches because that's just what Gailey does. But Breda has the chance to be a dominant pass catching back in this offense. The biggest issue for me is that he cannot stay healthy. You know, we, we talk a lot about health and, and people doing X, Y, and Z and, and not playing or, or missing games, whatever. But this is a guy that's always banged up, always. He's either playing through some sort of injury or he's a game-time decision, and it is the most frustrating thing in the world. So that's my thoughts on Breda. But I, I love the value in terms of where he's going and what he has the potential for. Uh, in terms of Gusecki, it's – Again, going back to Gailey, when he has athletic tight ends, he maximizes them. I, I wrote an entire piece about Chan Gailey and the Dolphins offense. I think it was back in the beginning of May. And it was just like going through and looking at all of his stops, like starting with uh, the Chiefs in 08, the, the Bills uh, from 2010, 11, and 12, the Jets, and, and you know now coming into Miami – I mean, he had Scott Chandler for a couple of years in Buffalo. That's the only reason that we know this guy's name because he did yeah. literally nothing after Changeli left. Tony Gonzalez, we knew who he was well before Changeli got there, but Gailey's not stupid. Hey, I've got the best tight end in football. I'm going to throw the football to him. And he targeted him 150 times. He typically has two guys that are going to dominate targets. One of them is typically the X receiver, which we know is Devontae Parker in Miami. And then the next is either another outside guy or it's the tight end, one or the other. Now, the Dolphins have another outside receiver that most people think can dethrone Parker because he out-targeted uh, him the first eight weeks of last year. And uh, I think we'll talk about Preston Williams here in a little bit. But Gusecki, I think, to me, is a better option because of where he's going to line up. He lined up in the slot 71.8% of the time last year. When Tony Gonzalez was in Kansas City with Chan Gailey, Gailey ran him in the slot almost 80% of the time. He is looking for those mismatches. He wants to take advantage of that. Gusecki is a mismatch nightmare. The guy's 6'6", runs a 4'5", 4'40". Like, there are not very many linebackers, or, and, and or safeties for that matter, are going to be able to defend this guy. Exactly. So I think the sky is the limit for what Gasecki can do, not just this year, but in this offense with Changeli, 
So I, I actually heard on the, the footballers podcast, I think it was earlier this week or late last week when they were talking about like those mid range tight end guys, like after the top five, where that's like a death trap. Like people are like, Oh yeah, this person, you know, could, could do okay. And you end up spending like a sixth, seventh round pick on them. And then they just absolutely bomb. So it's basically get one of the top guys in the first three, four rounds, or just absolutely wait at the position. If Gasecki's going as tight end 14, I will absolutely wait because I think he will return mid-value tight end, like like mid-round value at the tight end position. Like my projections have him finishing at tight end seven, and I think that is absolutely feasible with almost 60 receptions, over 600 yards, potentially six touchdowns. I think that's easily attainable for him. I'm a big fan of Gasecki going into the season. I'm going to end the Dolphins wrap-up on Tua, and I'm just going to pose one question. But first, just to quickly go over my sleeper and IDP, Jordan Howard currently RB39 is his uh, ADP right now. So he's being taken actually in the exact same range as Breda, who is RB41. But guys like Philip Lindsay, Damian Williams, Marlon Mack, he's being taken in that area. So in the, the thing is, like, Mack going to be sharing carries or probably is going to be sitting behind Jonathan Taylor. Most likely going to be sitting behind Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Lindsay sitting behind Melvin Gordon. on Johnson splitting with uh, DeAndre Swift. Car- um, James White splitting that backfield, more, mostly known as a PPR back. Jordan Howard is going to predominantly get most of the carries in that offense, so I love the value you get there uh, at RB39. I mean, before last year when he missed half the season, he was over like 240 carries every single year. Yeah, he's a thousand yards back. Yeah, and people forget that he's only 25. He's young. Like, they're writing him off because of one bad year in Philly, and now he's changing teams. Like, this is what running backs do. They change teams because nobody wants to give, and rightfully so, second contracts to running backs. Yeah. IDP, Kyle Van Noy. Looking at this defense, I really didn't find anybody that stood out to me. Kyle Van Noy is really only one in 2018. He played under Brian Flores when he was the DC in New England. That was his best season that he ever had. So maybe he returns to that prominence. I know in the league that I played in, Van Noy was startable in at least half of the weeks uh, during that 2018 campaign. I don't know if he'll have that same gusto coming into this year. He's two years older, obviously, new team. But I think Van Noy has the most prominence on this defense and has the most opportunity to make a splash. Before you move on, I do want to address Devontae Parker because this this Parker versus Williams thing feels so very similar to last year's DJ Moore versus Curtis Samuel topic. It's not even and, close. It's Devontae and, Parker. And, yeah, and I, Ryan, I know that you you probably have some opinions here, especially because Williams was your downside guy. And it, it, again, look, I get that people want to hype up Williams. Like the first eight, really nine weeks, it was eight games. Parker had 52 targets to Williams 60. The big difference really was catch percentage because yeah, what Parker did he do was wide receiver 36. <laughs> yeah, Parker was wide receiver 36. Williams was wide receiver 37. So it wasn't like there was a huge yeah separation between the two but the way that parker finished that season i don't see how that team is going to be like oh yeah we're just not going to throw him the football because we want to see what this williams kid can actually do when he plays a full season yeah that's you read my notes almost word for word that is so Um, stupid to me 
uh, Preston Williams had one game over 10 fantasy points in uh, half PPR last year. One. And it was his last game before he got hurt. Um, I understand Parker did not set the world on fire. Like you said, he was uh, low 30s um, while Williams was out there. After Williams went down, he was the wide receiver too. You can't ignore that production. Um, It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, just in the back half, the final eight games of the year, he had 802 yards and five touchdowns. Exactly. And then Parker, I just checked the ADP. He, when I went and put in my notes for this show, he, he was being drafted as the wide receiver 33, which is criminal. It's jumped all the way up to 25 at this point. Yeah. But that's still perfect for a guy that you're drafting him essentially as your wide receiver three, and you may get best wide receiver in the league value out of him. It's ridiculous. Yep, absolutely. I've got him in one dynasty league, Joe. I know you traded for him in our home dynasty league. I like, I have him just in my projections at wide receiver 17, but when you factor in likely missed games from some of those other guys, he could very easily end up with another, you know, wide receiver one finish. Yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm pretty happy. I ended up with him in dynasty. I got, I now have him, Cortland Sutton and Alan Lazard are probably my top three receivers I think at this point and everyone's like oh Alan Lazard man shut up he's gonna have a ridiculous year (laughs) he's gonna have a ridiculous I don't know about ridiculous ridiculous let's let's pump the brakes on that one buddy listen listen I'm I'm not saying he goes me on that show (laughs) I'm I'm not saying he goes for 1800 yards and in 20 touchdowns but like he'll have near a thousand yards and probably eight touchdowns that that's the Packers show. That's probably what end of July, probably I think, because they're later in the that'll, year. That'll actually be the last one. No, it won't. The last, the last one. Yeah, the last they one. were. Uh, they were. They picked thirtieth, I think. Yeah, but the no, the they last finished. the the last one will be the Super Bowl teams, Chiefs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we have one that's two teams. So yeah, it'll be second to last show. Correct, right. Joshua. Okay, so I want to end the Dolphins one on this because I thought of this as. Uh, we were talking and looking at Josh's notes. It just says star in the making, followed by a period after every word. So I want to pose a question before he's even played a snap in the NFL. I'm going to list off some notable left-handed quarterbacks, okay? Kenny the Snake Stabler, Hall of Famer. Jim Zorn, Boomer Esiason, Steve Young, Hall of Famer. Mark Brunel. Michael Vick, uh, Chris Sims, just because he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's really it. Tim Tebow is is the, is really the last um, notable left-handed quarterback. Really, the biggest notable one is Michael Vick, and so, the only one that even compares when it comes to accuracy to what Tua brings to the table is Steve Young. Yeah. Don't don't shade the snake. Kenny Stabler? No, it was not near. Yeah. No, I, it's, Kenny Stabler was good for his time, but no, he was not an accurate quarterback. I, I, I agree. No, he was throwing a Fred Bolitnikoff who had stick him all up and down his arm. So that's uh, completely understandable. Uh, but the, the question I want to pose is, looking at this list of left-handed quarterbacks, do you think by the end of his career, Josh, we'll start with you, Tua Tagovailoa will go down as the best left-handed quarterback to ever play in the NFL? I don't think he'll be the best, but I think he will definitely be one that we're talking about for a very long time. Ryan? No. uh, Nobody can walk into the situation Steve Young walked into. 
It's just the team that was well, around him. He walked into Tampa Bay first. Wait, <laughs> yeah. Wait, you you mean handed the best receiver of all time? Exactly. And to then, where that's not that's not to a situation. And then and then handed another. How dare you shame Devonte Parker? <laughs> listen, listen. After I just talked him up. <laughs> listen, I love Devonte Parker, but if you're gonna sit here and tell me Devonte Parker and Preston Williams are the same, if not better duo than Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens. We need to have a conversation, okay? I might didn't, take... didn't didn't To only play like one or two years with Steve Young? Uh, yeah. Did he? Okay. Who cares? Well, he did he that, still play with him? I think wow. he made that crazy playoff catch, but um, that was with Jeff Garcia, Rice. though. Oh, was that Garcia? Yeah. Jeff Garcia, oh what a guy! Oh, Jeff Garcia. <laughs> that's like the, for for the youngins out there. That's like Ryan Fitzpatrick before Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yes, one hundred percent. Oh, Jeff Garcia, what a guy! All right, Chargers. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the Chargers here, mostly to rip on Tyrod Taylor for a couple minutes. Um, if any How dare of you, you talk about Ty God, what's the matter with you? If any of you think that Tyrod Taylor stays the starter after Week Four, you're delusional. He had the opportunity to start over Baker Mayfield in Cleveland two years ago, and he got taken out on Thursday Night Football against the New York Jets. Run that through your head and tell me that Tyrod Taylor is going to take a job away from Justin Herbert. I don't know how good Herbert is. I don't care to watch the Pac-12. I could give two Fs about Oregon University as a whole. Go Ducks. I love your uniforms. (laughs) But if you're here to tell me that Tyrod Taylor is going to play more games, if not the same amount of games this year, as Justin Herbert, you need to be put in a mental institution because that is just not correct. That's not going to happen. You don't spend the sixth-round pick. Two is a whole different scenario. Justin Herbert's not coming in with a broken hip. Like It's not like Herbert can't walk or can't do football activities. Fully healthy, stronger arm, mobility, whole package. Okay, he will be playing more games and starting more games than Tyrod Taylor. That's final. No, no more words on that. Upside. Uh, this is funny. You both... real quick, Joe. Real quick before you move on, because I, I did actually have to look this up. Sure. Steve Young technically played four years with To, but wow. his final year he only played in three games in '99. Wow. So To was there with him for, we'll say three three full seasons. To and Jerry Rice. I mean. If if you if you told anyone looking back on history, if you could have Terrell Owens and Jerry Rice on the same team, that's like, yeah, ooey gooey in the pants type stuff. Like that is just, <laughs> are you kidding me? And I know like everyone shames T.O. because he was a loud mouth and blah blah blah. Yeah, he he was a loud mouth. The guy is a top, I would argue top three talent at receiver, ever. It is him, Rice, and Randy Moss. Yeah. And then I think there's a fairly steep drop-off from there. I have respect for Larry Fitzgerald. I don't know if he reaches the impact of T.O., Moss, and Rice. Immense respect for Fitz, but I don't know if he reaches that just yet. Upsides. You both chose different running backs in the backfield. Not named Austin Eckler. Rookie Joshua Kelly for Josh. Ryan, you took Justin Jackson. Downside, Hunter Henry and Mike Williams. Trust fall, we, uh, you both had Keenan Allen. Rookie to watch, you both had Justin Herbert. 
Sleeper, ironically, Ryan, you have him as the downside. I have him as the sleeper, Mike Williams. IDP, I have Derwin James. So we'll start here uh, with the upside because this backfield is a little interesting. We saw Austin Eckler essentially take over last year. Melvin Gordon, contract disputes. Eckler comes in, shows that he can be a true, reliable running back in the NFL. Now they go out and draft Joshua Kelly out of UCLA, stays local, stays in the Los Angeles area. Justin Jackson out of Northwestern was a seventh-round pick, I believe, yeah. three years ago at this point, uh, yep. him going into his third year now. I I love Justin Jackson. I think he's a very he's a great guy. Um, he he hasn't really dazzled or shown anything crazy, but he's shown to be a reliable runner. I don't know much about Joshua Kelly, so Josh, let's let's start with your guy. Why do you think Joshua Kelly has more upside than Justin Jackson? I'm gonna I'll make this short because I actually want to hear Ryan's take on Justin Jackson. But for me, it just boils down to draft capital. Like, I, I think that Justin Jackson will start the year as a starter. Uh, he missed nine games last year. But again, he's been there. This will be his third year there. But Jackson was a seventh-round pick three years ago. Kelly comes in as a fourth-rounder. We, we talk all the time about draft capital mattering until it doesn't matter. Kelly's coming in as a rookie. So right now, it matters, right? They're going to rotate all three of these guys. Like Anthony Lynn has talked about that previously. He talked about it uh, when Melvin Gordon was um, holding out that they have no qualms about rotating all three guys. They did it when he was in Buffalo, and it you know for in his opinion it worked. So I I can see a scenario where Kelly Jackson and Eckler all have more than a hundred carries this year. Like, I, I have that in my projections. That's what I think can happen. Um, but to me, Jackson and Kelly, both of them, they're just a guy. Like, there's really nothing crazy exciting about either of them. Like, to me, this is Eckler's backfield. And if I looked at ADP before this, I would have said Eckler as the upside. Because I cannot believe that Eckler's ADP is RB10 right now. Like, that just feels criminal to me because I think he finishes as a top five running back because of what he's able to do in the passing game. But that being said, Kelly Jackson, both of these guys have the ability to catch the football and, you know, have flex worthy weeks. But again, they're just a guy. So when you're looking at their current price, Kelly's ADP is 63 Jackson's 54 I'm going to take the cheaper of the just the guys or Jags as the um, acronym is, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. Like, sure. Maybe Eckler gets hurt. And then we're talking about Kelly as a top 30 guy or even Jackson as a top 30 guy, because that could very well happen. You basically hit the nail on the head. I have them. Stop both agreeing as... with me, Ryan. You're not making this I interesting. Ryan, yell at him. Hold on, though. T- tell, him one thing, tell him he's stupid. One your notes, your the, notes suck. Josh. You're... The one point you're missing out on, though, is Jackson, I think, is going to get the first crack at it. This no, is one he of the will. Absolutely. We've been talking about yeah. Where rookies are, depending on how this offseason goes and even how it's going right now, rookies are kind of starting at a disadvantage compared to other rookies that have come into the league. Um, one of the things that really jumped out at me with Jackson is his yards per carry when Gordon was out 7.8 yards in the four games that Gordon was out last year. Um, 
They just don't seem to use him enough. Uh, he only carried the ball 18 times last year uh, while Gordon was out rather. Um, and they don't, they don't, it's almost like they're working against him. My biggest concern is he doesn't seem suited for passing game work. Gordon vacated 55 targets and they can't throw all of those to Eckler, but if they do, Oh, oh my God. Right. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, at that point, he's easily the biggest upside. Um, I just don't, Kelly doesn't scream that he's going to take this job from Jackson to me. It's a lot of the things we talked about earlier where rookies are going to perform later in the year. I agree this could end up being all three of them, but I think more than likely what you're going to see is Eckler-Jackson to start the season, Eckler-Kelly to finish the season, unless Jackson shows that he he's obviously not an eight-yard-per-carry guy. But if he's a 5.1, 5.5-yard-per-carry guy... Oh, on the Kelly won't sniff the field. Backler, yeah, Kelly won't see the field. No. So that's my big thing where I think Jackson has the bigger upside because he's going to get the first crack at it, and you got to hope that he's going to do something with that opportunity. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think you're wrong by any means. Like I said, I mean, it's for me, it just boiled down to Kelly was the cheaper option. So, and I'll, I'll, I'll take the cheaper guy every day of the week when I think they're both the same person. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, enough but of that this. late, that late in drafts, you really, I don't think you can go wrong with either truthfully. And like you said, Jackson will get first crack. So that I do absolutely agree with. I was going to say, it's hard to disagree on these bad teams. Once we start getting into the later teams, especially. Oh yeah. We'll definitely the Packers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all right, I, enough, enough agreeing. Uh, Ryan, why do you have Mike Williams as a downside? So I can tell you why you're wrong. I hate him. Uh, he couldn't get it done with, with Philip Rivers. Okay, hold, uh, on. Had a, hold on. Hold on. Rivers couldn't hit the broad side of a barn if it was two feet in front of his face. All right? Rivers had like the third most yards of his career last year. <laughs> so. and he chucked it deep a lot, but like, but it was like kept underthrowing Mike Williams. Yeah. Like, bad. How do, you, how do you underthrow Mike Williams? Like, come on. He went over 1,000 yards and still finished as a wide receiver three. The biggest thing I have in my He went over 1,000 yards with less than 50 catches. That's impressive. <laughs> he needs Justin Herbert to be relevant. And so this is where I think we, we have our fundamental disagreement here, Joe, is I disagree completely. I think the Chargers see themselves as a contender, especially with that defense they put together. And I think Taylor plays – far more games than Herbert. Um, I could see it being a 10-6 or a 12-4 because they're going to want the safer guy in there to try to protect what that defense is. And Taylor doesn't make – he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He doesn't turn the ball, ball over a lot. Like, he's going to be a dink and dunk guy. That's why I think Eckler can be so big this year and why – Eckler and, and Keenan, Keenan Allen. Even yeah, Henry. like, those, that's what those guys do. They play underneath. Um. There's no way he's going to repeat his yards per catch. 20 last year was the highest oh. of anyone over 50 targets. Like, I was just shocked when I was digging into that. Um, and then he had a 57% catch rate with Phillip Rivers, and that's not much better than his career average. Um, do we really see that improving with a rookie quarterback? Two years, I mean, ago, I two years ago with River, I believe he was at almost 67%. Yeah, I was going to say, but then his rookie year, he was down at 48 So. His rookie year, he only well, played like eight games. Yeah, yeah, he only played like eight games. Well, um, you don't catch the ball with your back. It helps. <laughs> it helps to have a good back to catch the football. I mean, to raise your arms up, like back pain, that, that, that's I mean, it was all only, like connected muscles. Come on, Ryan. It was only 23 targets. So it's I'm, not, I'm just holding it against him to hold him against him. But I don't love the catch rate. I don't think he can repeat his yards per carry, or yards per catch, rather. 
And I don't think that you're going to have the quarterback to take advantage of what he does best. I just don't see it at all. No, I, I, I will say this though. A, a, a big issue for me with Williams is Justin Herbert has a huge arm, but he's not accurate with his deep ball. So I think you're going to run into a lot of the similar issues that Williams had last year where rivers like could get it there but it, it was inaccurate because he had to stop and come back for it. Like Herbert can hit Williams on the run. And I think the first couple times it's going to be like, Oh crap. I, I actually, this ball's in my hands at full speed and it'll be a lot of like concentration drops. And then you're going to start to see the inaccuracy of Herbert's deep ball. And you're going to get a lot of, again, you'll get a bad catch rate as a result of that. I don't, I have him only at a 58% on 100 targets, which is literally 58 receptions. But I, I I don't have him at 20 yards per catch. I dropped him all the way down to 16 because even if you look at his career average, he's up there. Like, this is where they target him. They target him deep. So I think that's going to play into it. But, again, I think a lot of that's going to come with Herbert, not Taylor. If, ta- if, if you're right and Taylor ends up playing over half the season, then, yeah, Mike Williams is basically going to be irrelevant because Taylor's not chucking Mike Williams – I, I agree with that sentiment. If Tyrod Taylor plays the full season, Keenan Allen's going to be wide receiver one by the end of the year with how many targets he's going to absolutely eat up. Okay. Mike Williams is a freak. I, I still don't understand how Phillip Rivers missed him. He's 6'4", 220. How do you miss that? Like, we could, we could hit him. <laughs> we could do that. He's 6'4". So, like, okay, yes. Is Justin Herbert the most accurate guy in the world? No. We've clearly seen that with every Oregon quarterback to come out of there. Marcus Mariota is terribly inaccurate. but Which is surprising considering how accurate he was at work. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, there's the jump to the end. So it's going to be backwards with Herbert. He sucked in college. Now he's going to be real good in the NFL. It's, it's the backwards thing. Um, no, Herbert is – he has such a strong arm, and that's where I'm like, okay – Listen, he, Williams is getting underthrown last year. So I'm like, okay, the least Herbert's going to do is overthrow the guy. So maybe Williams makes a signature diving catch, right? Or at least he doesn't have to stop mid-route to come back to the football. Like, Williams beats coverage almost every time. Like, there, I've rarely seen times where there's a DB in front of him or stride for stride. The DB tends to be about a half a step behind him, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but in the NFL, if you're a half a step ahead of your defender, that that has touchdown written all over it. That has touchdown every single time. So just the fact of how big he is, how fast he is, the combination of that, I think he's a good red zone threat as well. He's a tower in the red zone. And with his current ADP sitting at wide receiver 44, in ESPN leagues, he's going at wide receiver 56. Like, his overall in terms of uh, just ADP is 128. So he's going in the late 13th round. He's going with guys like, he's going way after Emmanuel Sanders, Julian Edelman, Jalen Rager, in the same conversation as McCole Hardman, Michael Pittman. Way after Sterling Shepard, Denzel Mims, Nikhil Harry, Preston Williams, they're in the same conversation. I, Mike Williams, 100%. Are you kidding me? That's no, 
not even a question. Who am I going to take between those guys? Mike Williams. People are like, oh, I'm really high on Deontay Johnson this year. Yeah, shove it up your behind. Mike Williams this year. Okay? <laughs> ben Roethlisberger is going to fold like a, like a, like a, why can't I think of the word? Um, Lawn chair. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. That's why you're here. Lawn chair. Um, <laughs> he's just, his size and speed blows me away. And the fact that he has a quarterback that will at least overthrow him instead of underthrow him, I think speaks volumes. Because at least if he overthrows him, maybe Williams can jump up and get it or die for the football and not have to come back into coverage and draw a pass interference call, which is nothing for you in fantasy football. Yeah, I'm willing to say that if if Herbert takes this job, I'm willing to change my tune completely. Um and but, sa- same if Taylor keeps the job, I would not put Williams as a sleeper. Yeah. So uh, that that's where we're there. I just again, I can't see Tyrod. You said the defense is really, really good. They have a very underrated secondary. Casey Hayward, top five cornerback in my opinion. Derwin James, top five safety. Uh, I mean, they've done a lot in that in that secondary and on the front seven as well. I say that front seven just gets scary. better every year. Scar- so. I mean, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa off the edge, ooh, scary. And then they took Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma this year. I mean, they're they're loaded on defense. Yeah, they traded up to get Murray, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. They did. He's good. And they're loaded, so I just sit there and say, look, did Tyrod Taylor take Buffalo to the playoffs that one year? Yes. Did Buffalo have a great defense? Yes. Is Tyrod Taylor going to do it again four years <laughs> later? Not a shot in hell. There's not. A, there's no doubt in my mind that this sack of potatoes is going to lose his job. Like, nothing against Tyrod Taylor. He's been a great backup quarterback throughout his career in the NFL. He's filled in when needed. When he started, he's actually had an above 500 record. Like his career record is 23 and 21 and one. He had a he had a tie in Cleveland if you remember week one against Pittsburgh in 2018. Yep. So he has he has an he has an above average win percentage. But to me, it's like, look, I think you know what you get out of Tyrod Taylor. He's gonna have okay games and he's gonna have bad games. He's never gonna have a game. That blows you away. And to me, like, unless Taylor shows out in the first four weeks and you're like, okay, it really hasn't been his fault why the team is losing. Like, the defense has given up some yardage or maybe the run game wasn't working as well. Like, if he's not the reason you're losing, I think he keeps the job. But if you're feeling that Justin Herbert can come in and give your team a spark or at least throw the football better than what Taylor is doing, I think you have to do it. Because to me... I think people are going to respect Justin Herbert's arm more than Tyrod Taylor's. Herbert is going to allow you to stretch the field more, which in essence gives the running back, uh, the run game at least, mostly Austin Eckler, the room to run the football without having the fear of running against an eight, nine-man front. So I think Herbert gives you the opportunity to extend the field. That's why I just I don't see Tyrod Taylor keeping his job. Here, here's the thing for me, like Tyrod Taylor's not going to win you football games. No, never. Like he, he's going to keep you in games and then you just have to pray that the defense is going to make turnovers. Right. And, and you, you know, the funny thing is uh, Los Angeles has never been able to win a game on their own. They've relied on their quarterback to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So 
their first four games, and really, you could extend this to their first five games. I was just looking at this. <laughs> at Cincy, sure, they have a chance to win that. I mean, it's a rookie quarterback. But it's also the Chiefs. Yeah, versus the, verse the Chiefs, that's an L. I don't care if they're home or away. Versus the Panthers? Hold on, hold on. That, wait, 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 that's hold kind on. of a toss-up to me. Hold on. In that division, they're the only team that gives the Chiefs a game. They're the only team that gives the Chiefs a game. Do you think Tyrod Taylor is going to give the Chiefs a game? Listen, Josh, no. Okay. but Th- That's the point I'm getting at. <laughs> but I, That's the point I'm getting at. But, to, and and to, it's at home in an empty stadium. Let's on, be real here. Hold, well, Which was empty well, it was before always empty COVID. Before, <laughs> like, it was, was always going to be an so, empty stadium. So hold on. So, sorry. Before you go on, I cut you off. Every right there's There's a team's kryptonite in the division. Every year, every time the Patriots schedule comes out before Brady left, I I thought every year we're going 15 and 1 and we lose in Miami cuz every freaking year we would lose in Miami. I don't care who the quarterback is, I don't care how bad their team is, we lose in Miami. Every time the Chiefs play the Chargers, they wet their pants a little bit because the Chargers are the only team in that division that give them a run for their money. That's that's all I'm saying. I don't care how bad the Chargers are. They Tyron always Taylor's play Kansas not City beating tough. Patrick Mahomes. Listen, I will tell you that right now. Uh, listen, I'm not disagreeing with you. Okay, I'm just saying. And they lost to the Chiefs twice last year. I just want to point that out. Uh, they did, but they beat the Chiefs in Week 16 two years ago. Oh, okay, two years ago. Now a completely different quarterback. So with, yes, but again, Bengals, Chiefs, Panthers, Bucks, and Saints. Those are the first five games. They could very so, easily be looking yeah. at one and four. You're literally going against Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes, uh, Teddy no, Two Gloves, Bridgewater, Brady, Tom Brady and, and, Drew Brees. and Drew Brees. So you're going against the best quarterback if they, ever. If they end up at one and four, who do you think is starting in week six against the Jets? Herbert. It's not Tyrod Taylor. Herbert. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Her Wait, are you telling me Tyrod Taylor game. is going to lose his job against the Jets again? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, hold on. So, all right. So, let's let's think. So let's end let's end the show on this because I I love projecting. Also, uh, just one more time. IDP is Derwin James. He's a freak of nature. Yes. He'll run through a brick wall and drop you like like a sack of potatoes. Okay, sack of potatoes. My favorite phrase apparently now. Uh, yes. Derwin James is a freak. He missed a lot of last year, so don't let that go unnoticed. The guy will go close to 200 fantasy points, if not surpass it. He's a freak of nature. Okay. Um, I think the Chargers beat Cincinnati. Despite it being in Cincinnati, I think they beat them. I just think defense-wise, they're no, better. I, th- I think they do, too. I'm, I'm just saying there, there's an all-likelihood that they come out of the first five weeks with only one win. Sure. And that I don't one, care how good their defense is. Sure. Yeah. And that one win being in their winnable games, their two winnable games, in my opinion, are week one against Cincy and then week three when Carolina comes to visit them. The cross Those country, are their two most winnable games. The cross country trip for Carolina is going to be tough. Yeah. I, I think. But they play at Tampa and at New Orleans. They're losing those two games. So I, I agree. And then their next. Or before the bye week. So that's what I was going to say. Jets at Miami versus Jacksonville and then versus Las Vegas. So what if they uh, go two and three? Where you indoctrinate Herbert against teams that he has a chance to actually beat. And then you have the bye week to prepare yeah. for the second part of the season. 
All right, so uh, Ryan, I heard what you said. If they go two and three, so let me pose this, right? If they go two and three, and one of their wins is against Kansas City off the back of Tyrod Taylor, or pose it this way: if they go one and four, and Tyrod Taylor wins them the game against Kansas City, does Tyrod Taylor keep his job? One and four, I don't think there's any chance. I I, I agree with Josh. They're going to be looking at Jets, Dolphins, Jaguars, Raiders, and they're going to say, "Let's let's get the kid out there." Four yeah. crappy defense. Although the Jets, the Jets have a good defense. I uh, Miami made a ton of strides to get better on defense. The Jets have a good run defense. Jacksonville is a shit show. Dumpster right fire. Now. Dumpster yeah. fire. Is the and the Raiders. Are the Raiders? Yeah, they're they're the Raiders. That that could that I, again. That's another game that I think could go either way. The Raiders have made a lot of strides on offense. Defense, I Plus, think, is still hit or miss. But not that it matters much. But three of the four are at home as well. Yeah, so. no, it's true too. So, so and that's what you want. You want to you want to give your rookie every opportunity to win. When three when four easy games come your and again. I don't want to say easy games. We'll say winnable games come your way, and three of them or are at home. That's where you put your rookie in in place. Especially if fans are allowed in stadiums, and you want to sell Agreed. tickets. A hundred percent. They want to see the future. I don't think like if you're just a casual football fan, you want to see the future of the franchise, and that's Justin Herbert. No one's paying to see Tyrod Taylor. They'll pay to see yep. Justin Herbert. One hundred percent true. So there, there you go. Uh, one more time before we head off, Ryan, thank you for joining us. I mean, I'll, thanks Ryan. I, I keep saying thank you, but you're going to be on the rest of the summer. So just, I was going to say, I guess, but still there, there is no reason not to say thank you because he's donating his time to coming on the show with us. Ryan. So well, thank you, Ryan. You're, you're, you're the best kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you'll be out of town next week and you still want to jump on the show. And I told you, you didn't have to, but you were very, persistent and oh, wanting yeah. to be on so i'm thank not gonna you so much i'm not gonna want to. I, I i love getting on with you guys and and hopefully we'll find some things to fight about uh a little bit better oh, but like, so give it you, some time give it some time. i was gonna say the trust falls <laughs> i think we're six for six where we agree on every yeah. single one of them and that's I gonna mean, change so it's, it's hard not to like have well, no, we'll easy... probably be seven for seven because i mean it's the panthers i i don't see how mccaffrey's not the trust fall oh no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> But I will say, here's a preview for next week because I didn't realize the Panthers were coming up. I do not understand this DJ Moore love affair that is happening right now. So we may have some arguments on that because my mind is blown. So, I, Believe it or not, a, another preview. I have DJ Moore as my downside for this year. Okay. Or, I won't go that far, but it'll be fun to talk about that because – No, I think Twitter he's still right going to have a good year. Don't get me wrong. But just relative to his ADP and where everything is kind of shaking out, the, situ- the quarterback situation, uh, Bridgewater had a good five-game stretch, but I don't think he's really the answer there. So Love Teddy Two Gloves. Regardless, anyway. Teddy Two yeah. Gloves. Don't we'll get into on him. We, we, we have a <laughs> slew of great young quarterbacks uh, coming up next week. Teddy Two Gloves, uh, Kyler Murray, perspective, and what everyone believes is going to be the MVP this year, apparently. And Captain the, America. And the best out of all of them, Captain America, won Gardner Minshew, man for the people, 2020 Gardner Minshew. Uh, I wonder who your is uh, he your MVP uh, pick this year, Joe? Is Gardner Minshew your MVP pick? Listen, this he's year? My, he's my presidential <laughs> write-in at this point. I bet I bet I can guess your IDP pick for the Cardinals already too. Who? Isaiah Simmons. Listen, I'm not going to spoil anything. Well, I've already but, seen the graphics. That is absolutely correct. But you, 
You are correct. Okay, you're, you're going to tell me that I'm not going to put a freaking Transformer as the IDP? Well, like, like, Yeah, you've been talking about him since we did the, like, Super Bowl show. Yeah. I, I watched one Clemson game this year, and it was the national championship. And I, are you kidding me? The, the guy played linebacker, edge rusher, safety. Oh, and yeah, he's spread out to cover Clyde Edwards. I was say nickel corner. <laughs> yeah, I'm like the the, the versatility. Are you, oh god, everyone's like oh. Was, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I tend to get us off track. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, you're the one that gets us off track. But, but hey, I, did, I didn't bring up Spark this week. Oh man, when, when you texted me, it was like, oh yeah, I got some good information on the running backs. I'm like. Oh, please let it be some spark notes to like blow Joe's mind. <laughs> nobody, nobody jumped out at me, but I was very happy when you brought up Matthew Slater when I brought up my kid because uh, uh, Jenkins or whatever his name is, he's clearly so good I can remember what his name is. Um, <laughs> uh, Derek Dillon, I I had in there uh, Slater for Joe in my notes, so I was glad you brought that up. So oh, Matt Matt Slater, he won't go in the Hall of Fame. But if there was a specific Hall of Fame for special teamers and gunners, he's in there. He is by far the best gunner in NFL history. Yeah, he has your heart. Oh, my God. Matt Slater, my guy. They're, every year, they're like, they sign him to a one-year deal, and they're like, oh, we might let go of Matt Slater this year. I'm like, if you let go of Matt Slater, I'm not a fan. <laughs> False. I'll, I'll always be a fan. But Matt Slater, I mean, the, the guy is just – you you talk about you talk about people that are like staples of the Patriots dynasty. Obviously, Brady Belichick being two of them. Um, you go back to the early days of Rodney Harrison, Bruschi, Vrabel on the defensive side with Vince Wilfork, Ty Warren, Richard Seymour, um, Moss in 07, Welker, uh, Edelman, one of those guys as well. James White, another guy. What uh, Patrick Chung, the McCor- uh, McCordys, uh, mostly Devin, obviously. But you, you talk about one guy that never gets mentioned is Slater, and he shows up every— The reason the Patriots have had the best special teams core this decade is because of Matthew Slater. So if Joe Judge saw in that kid what he saw in Matthew Slater, they have a winner, all right? The Giants yeah. may suck forever, but they'll have that claim to fame. That kid, Derek Dillon, I think is his name. All there right. we go. Let's keep an eye on it. Uh, one more time. Ryan, you can, uh, the Fantasy Five, and that's five spelled out, F-I-V-E. Yes, that's on Twitter. Uh, check out all of his stuff on there. You can follow us at Club Fantasy FFL on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Once again, you want to converse with us on our personal stuff uh, about anything happening right now, we're more than happy to. Joe underscore Zolo, the one Hudsonian. That's one, the actual number. A Hudsonian for Josh, and then again, the Fantasy 5, 5 spelled out for Ryan. Uh, This has been No Pun Intended. If you're listening on 97.3 Sunshine Jams in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, thank you. If you missed any of the shows or for anyone listening, you want to listen back to last week to get our previews for the Redskins, Bengals, and the Detroit Lions. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. Always remember... Defense wins championships. Offense wins fantasy football. We will see you next week for the Carolina Panthers, Arizona Cardinals, and the Captain America-led Jacksonville Jaguars for the Look Inside team previews.